It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. <laughs> In case you missed it, we played that yesterday. That's a drone flying over the city of Shanghai. Shanghai is the largest city in the world, probably the largest one, certainly in China, 25 million people. And now we know that drone is saying something like, control your desire to be free. Control your desire to be free, says the drone flying over Shanghai. Sandy Rios with you in the morning. Uh, Shanghai uh, is a, well, I don't know where to start. I was in Shanghai a number of years ago. I've made lots of friends. I've been there more times than that one. I wish I had time to tell you about my friend Jonathan, the Bible smuggler, um, who uh, I taught to sing, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path because he was a Bible smuggler, and he learned it, uh, it you know, through an interpreter. And the next time I went to China, uh, we found out Jonathan had been arrested and put in prison camp. He had five children, uh, and he wasn't sure he could meet with us because we always met in secret with these Christian believers who were uh, doing the work they were doing in China. And we were at the Great Wall of China, and this sounds funny. It actually it can be funny, but it's they, my friends, my Chinese friends, pulled me into a Kentucky Fried Chicken at the base of the uh, the Great Wall of China and said, "Some, uh, we we have something for you." I went inside, and this man came up to me. I wasn't. I was. Just, the place was filled, you know. And he comes right in front of me and he starts to sing, "Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path." And uh, that was Jonathan. He had just been released from prison. Um, and so that is, uh, without going into that very wonderful, incredible, moving story, that reminds me very much of Shanghai. So what's happening in Shanghai right now? Well, there are reports that terrible things are happening. In fact, let's just listen to one. This is clip 11. Let's listen. And people are complaining that stores have run out of food and it's nearly impossible to schedule deliveries because couriers can't keep up with the demand. One man in Shanghai documenting the shortages on Twitter says, we had three deliveries that were booked to deliver today. All three were cancelled. On social media, videos not verified by NBC News described as protests by people desperate to get food and medicine. Store shelves cleared out. This man on the street yelling, what am I supposed to buy? What am I supposed to eat? In some areas, drones telling people to stay home. Control your soul's desire for freedom, it says. And in this video, the residents yell at the police at one point. They say, we are starving. And what's this all about? This is about COVID because the person in charge of their, you know, their, their Dr. Fauci is saying we have zero tolerance for COVID. 
It's not that there's a, a, an outbreak in China, not a huge outbreak. It's that they uh, they have a zero tolerance. And, of course, many people are feeling that the regime in China under Xi is using this very handily con- to control its people. But I can't stop with this. I have to tell you, remember, the first uh, shutdown in China was in Wuhan. And you will remember, I talked to you about I had some undercover reports I shared with you about people being locked in their apartments and uh, burned alive. In many cases, they burned the apartment buildings down, or they shut them off. They couldn't get their medicine, they couldn't get food, and they starved to death. This was in Wuhan when COVID first broke out. Well, now this time in Shanghai, there isn't there aren't people dying in the streets of COVID. This is just the indication. They're, they have zero tolerance. It'd be like zero tolerance for the flu, zero tolerance for a bad cold. And so a CNN reporter uh, recorded a video, uh, I don't know when, in the last few days, uh, and he's standing in his house, and this is how he describes the situation. This is clip eight. Well, if you think Wuhan 2020 was bad, welcome to Shanghai 2022. This has been like no other lockdown, and it's in the country's cosmopolitan and most affluent financial hub of all places. So this door behind me, this is my exit to the outside alleyway. And late last night, I heard them taping up my door along with the doors of my neighbors. They're placing a paper seal so as to keep it closed. Some buildings with positive cases inside, well, they're locked shut from the outside. They're using bicycle locks and padlocks just to keep people in. Yes. And then they're going up and down the streets. They're collecting cats. There's actually a video. I want to, listen, I need to give, uh, I definitely want to give a hat tip to Tucker Carlson. A lot of these clips were on his show last night. Uh, And so he did a wonderful report on it. And I commend that to you. It's on Fox News uh, homepage. Uh, really, you would do you would be do well to listen to that and to share it with others. But I'm telling you what he reported, and then my own experiences here. So they're going around the streets. Uh, they're collecting these cats, and they're just then they're going around uh, beating them, killing them. And so you have pictures of the cats in these bags. They're they're house pets, uh, and um, they're you know the the bags are wriggling because they're getting ready to to kill them, and then. There was a CNN report about what they're doing with people's dogs because when they're locked in their homes or they're put away in these internment camps, which is another point, they're taking people away. There's a video of a small child in a hazmat suit all by itself, all by himself, herself, I don't know which, and no one's near him, no t- nobody touching, just staying away, ushering him into a van, him, her, uh, and and we think taking them to this internment camp where there's no water, there's one toilet. There were pictures of that last night. All right, so this is the story from CNN about what they're doing with the dogs. Clip nine. The uh, COVID prevention worker was caught on camera bashing to death a pet corgi. Apparently, this happened after the pet's owner had tested reportedly positive for COVID-19 and taken away to a quarantine center. It was a resident in the compound who filmed this video and filmed how this health worker used a shovel to strike the corgi three times before the pet dog died on the scene. Look, that's brutal, and I'm not happy about it. I have to say that. But, you know, if anything should wake up the left, you'd think it might be the killing of pets, the brutal murder of dogs and cats in the streets who are pets. That's bad. But if you think that's bad, uh, this is the sound of Shanghai. Many people, of course, in China and in other, you know, communist countries, it's kind of 
they stack people on top of each other in these high-rises, and they're not necessarily like luxury high-rises like some of us from cities are used to. These are just ways of you know, condensing population into urban areas. So there are these huge high-rises, and someone in Shanghai turned on their mic and showed these at night. The lights on the high-rise looked like they could be Chicago, could be, you know, New York. But this is the sound coming from the windows in these high-rises clipped in. People are starving to death and they can't get out. 25 million people, and no one seems to care. Anthony Fauci was asked about it, and I'm not even going to play this clip, but he basically said, um, you know, I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to speak about that. Uh, so so he's not speaking about that. This is uh, one of the, one of the um, on one of the clips, this man yells, we are starving. We are starving. They're screaming at police officers. And so, and in the description of Shanghai, this I didn't really know, that Shanghai uh, has, I don't know if this is the case when I was there, but has a significant amount of um, people from other countries living. And I remember going to some areas of China where people stared and stared and stared because they'd never seen Western faces before. Um, Shanghai is obviously not one of those where there are a lot of uh, international people, and it is kind of a um, business center, and it has a more independent uh, state, you know, not ex- controlled in terms of mind, more exposure to the outside world. And they, they're surmising that that's why uh, China has been targeted. I want to just drill home on this before I come back home here and tell you what I see as warning signs, concern signs for all of us. A longtime Harvard epidemiologist called Eric Feigl Ding, and again, this is from Tucker's show last night just wrote an op-ed explaining that we should all be grateful for the atrocities the Chinese government is committing in Shanghai tonight because they're in everyone's interest. A health security expert called Nicholas Thomas just told CNN that Shanghai is an inspiration to the world's leaders. The legacy of Shanghai will see a return to mass lockdowns for larger cities in the near to medium term. I guess Nicholas Thomas is not unhappy about that. I think of the words of um, the Canadian uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talking about how he admires China for the way they control their people, and certainly they do. Okay, so uh, what's happening here? Well, this is what's happening here. Uh, The uh, Philadelphia, I think it is, Philadelphia has now reimposed a mask mandate. Let me see. I think it's Philadelphia. Uh, A mask, mask mandate everywhere, even outdoors. So for whatever reason, I think they only had two cases of COVID, maybe two deaths. It's either two deaths or two cases. I'm not sure. Uh, but but they now now you must wear a mask, you know, in uh, Phil, in Philadelphia. You must, uh, you know, because we're all dying of COVID here. The danger is so great. Uh, and so the Biden administration has just announced that they're considering, they're considering extending the mask mandate for airplanes. It's due to expire. Uh, April the, uh, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure what the date is, but it's coming up. So there's a new coordinator, new person in charge. It's, uh, let's see, what is the name here? It is um, Ashish Jha. Ashish Jha is now the person in charge of this. Um, And so he says, 
we're going to, you know, we're thinking about reinstating them, but it's up to Rochelle Walensky. And of course, we're going to follow the science. Uh, Hashish, 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 is A-S-H-I-S-H, says uh, we're going to make our decision based on the framework that the CDC scientists create. Because, of course, we all know it is the scientists. And this is responding to Florida, 20 states joining Florida in a lawsuit against the federal government's mask mandate. And just a few days before that, several major airline CEOs pled with the Biden administration to drop the mask order. And there's an interesting, um, the wording of this, this is a 31-page lawsuit brought by these states. The CDC must consider the measures that states and their subdivisions have implemented and specifically consider their adequacy to control the interstate spread of COVID-19. The mere assertion that mask mandates are the only appropriate measure is inadequate. We are encouraged by the current data and the lifting of COVID restrictions from coast to coast, which indicate it is past time to eliminate COVID area transportation policies. And that would be the CEOs of American Airlines, United Airlines, uh, Delta, Southwest, all signing on that. And they added, much has changed since these measures were imposed, and they no longer make sense in the current public health context, noting a persistent and steady decline of hospitalization and death rates. But, of course, Rochelle Walensky, probably, I'm just guessing, I'm just guessing, don't expect those mask mandates to go away because now we're being warned that we may be back like China. We may all go on to, uh, you know, this, well, maybe not quite like China yet. Uh, But I remember Washington State started building these internment camps for COVID-positive people. Uh, Just our neighbors to the border were, you know, whisking people away and holding them against their will in these hotels where, all you know, everything was taped down and cordoned off. They couldn't leave their room. They were given barely adequate food. This was happening when you were flying to um, Canada. That's really close. It's closer than China. And also, now, there's a new study I didn't get a chance to tell you about yesterday. It's a study by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. That's Steve Moore's uh, organization. And they found that California and New York handled COVID-19 lockdowns the worst. Florida was among the best. But it's also Utah, Nebraska, Vermont, Montana, South Dakota, and Florida all, you know, had the lowest uh, standards for COVID lockdowns, the most, you know, gave people the most freedom. And the ones that did the most lockdowns and reduced the freedom of the people had the worst results in terms of their economy and also including, we have to be real specific here, uh, COVID cases and deaths of COVID. More people died and more people got COVID in the states that were locked down, to be very clear. All right, elections are coming up, and this is where we get to do something about what I just said, so stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The communist government has spoken. There's no room for Christianity within the walls of China. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and a man named Katsu is an evangelical pastor, a little more than 50. He serves outside of Beijing. I won't identify his village. But I would guess he has been beaten in jail 25 times over the course of his ministry. Most recently, they beat him so severely he could not get up for a week. They let him go and told him to never speak of Jesus again. About a week later, a knock came on his door. He was somewhat reluctant to open it, but he found Hayo the bitter atheist interrogator who beat him terribly had one question that burned in his heart all week long why were you at such peace when we were beating you so Katsu would open his door open his Mandarin Bible and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ together they've witnessed thousands coming to Christ who all need Bibles in China at $5 a Bible would you call 800-YES-WORD 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 or give at sendbiblesnow.org that's sendbiblesnow.org 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for William Moore, Director of the Defense Commissary Agency. He oversees the sale of groceries and household goods to members of the U.S. military. Psalm 145 verses 15 and 16 reminds us that God always provides. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide William Moore as he helps provide food and goods to our nation's military members. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives, and their careers. Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has a message for President Biden. There's a convoy of illegals, and they're traveling eastbound and down to Washington, D.C. The Republican governor announcing he's loading up buses with illegal aliens, and he's shipping them directly to the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Governor Abbott says he's frustrated by the administration's inaction at the southern border. As many as a million illegals are threatening to overwhelm Border Patrol agents, more are on the way. The governor says he's sick and tired of illegals being dumped in small towns and communities across the Lone Star State. If President Biden will not honor his responsibilities as outlined in the Constitution, the governor of Texas should take immediate action and shut down the border. As for those convoys, he needs to drop off a bunch of illegals at the vice president's house and then head up Interstate 95 to Wilmington, Delaware. The way I see it, if Texas has to suffer, so should Joe Biden's hometown. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. If this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is a direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. So that was President Joe Biden. And basically he's saying if his voter rights bill needed a massive takeover, federalizing of um, all 50 states election processes, if it doesn't pass, if we're not allowed to have, you know, mail-in balloting and no voter ID, if that doesn't pass, then we're in danger. They're just setting us up to steal the 2022 election. That's what he's saying. Yeah, so um, uh, just in, in short, uh, 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 gosh, I just went blank on his name. Jean Charlie, um made a statement in a con- in an interview, and I thought, you know, you should hear what he had to say because I think it, he sums up what's going on very well. Josh Hawley. Well, what I heard was what Joe Biden said loud and clear, which is he's already making excuses for why he's going to lose in November. And Pete, that's what this is all about. 
Democrats don't accept yeah. elections that they don't win. I mean, it happened in 2000. It happened in 2004. It happened in 2016. Now it's going to be 2022. I mean, if Joe Biden thought that his party was going to win these elections, then all would be fine. But he thinks, and because the polls suggest, he's going to lose them. His party's going to lose them, the House and the Senate, and therefore they're illegitimate. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. It's wrong. It's ridiculous. And everybody knows it's ridiculous. And yet there he is out there saying it. All right. He wasn't the only one that said it, but that's a, that's actually a conversation for a different day. I just want you to know they're setting us up for that. And uh, in, on the heels of me talking about Shanghai and COVID and uh, the the reluctance of the Biden administration to reduce the COVID restrictions, just remember, uh, COVID is a wonderful tool for the left to steal elections. Wonderful. They used it masterfully last time. And if you think for a moment that they're not watching the polls and thinking it might work again and maybe thinking about reinstating a lot of the restrictions, then you need to think again. But they, you know, just because they want to do it doesn't mean we have to let them. And so there are elections coming up. And while we still have the ability to fight back in the ballot box, let's do it. I've asked Cesar Ibarro to join us this morning. He's the vice president for policy for FreedomWorks. FreedomWorks uh, is a very conservative organization that goes around and vets candidates. I like their candidates. And so uh, because we have a lot of um, uh, primaries coming up in the month of May and beyond, I asked Cesar to join me this morning to talk about what's going on in these various states. Good morning, Cesar. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful to have you. And I, let me just ask you a quick question. I always, I think this is a cool, a wonderful thing about you. Are, you are a naturalized American citizen, and you've jumped in with both feet, and now you're working for, you worked for um, uh, um, Andy Biggs. Andy was our Congress. guest just a yes, couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, Congressman Andy Biggs. And you've had a lot of experience working in Congress, and now you're working with Freedom Works. And just answer this question, if you could, Caesar. Is it true, do you think, that the Hispanic vote is moving to the right? It, it's Yeah, that trend is very real. Um, you know, we saw it with, uh, I think, the most recent, uh, uh, you know, the most recent uh, test case that we have is Glenn Youngkin's election in in Virginia, right? I mean, we, we, had, we saw an overwhelming amount of not only Hispanics, but also Blacks. Uh, trending towards the right, and and the the curious thing about all of this is that we're not only seeing Hispanics shift their votes towards Republican candidates, we're seeing it in 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 the Black community, we're seeing in Muslim communities, we're seeing it in Vietnamese communities, I and mean, we're seeing it across all minority demographics. And I think this is a testament to the fact that these voters are realizing that the Democrats do not have their best interest in mind, and they're realizing that it's actually Republicans who hold their true conservative values in their best interest and is why they're trending towards the right. That's why it's so important for us to continue to educate these folks on conservative principles and on conservative candidates, because while, while Hispanics still favor Democrat politicians, they favor conservative policies, and we need to build that bridge to ensure that they align their values with, their, with the right candidates. Well, you know, because so many, uh, certainly Mexican um, Americans or immigrants who've come here, they work so hard and they're in business. They have started businesses. This is how they, this is how they thrive, and they know money. They know figures and money and uh, how to make the, you know, how the numbers add up. And so the economy itself is enough, I would think, to to drive them away from the Democratic Party for right now. But Caesar, that the, the case at hand here is we have primaries coming up. And indulge me just for a second. I want people, those of you listening. Listen for your state, okay? I'm going to tell you who's the primaries are in the coming up in the month of May. Uh, on May 3rd, it's Indiana and Ohio. 
And on May the 10th, it's Nebraska and West Virginia. And on May 17th, it's North Carolina, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, and Idaho. And on May the 24th, it's Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and Arkansas. Okay, so Caesar, a lot of my listeners live in those states, so let's just jump right in next next uh, week, yeah, the first so week of May. What's going on? Let's start with uh, let's start with Ohio. Um, we got you know we have very very contested race going on out there. FreedomWorks uh, recently hosted a, a candidate forum, uh, and it was pretty lively because we saw Jay, uh, we saw uh, Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel sort of get into it and, and made national headlights. But that's going to be a very contested race. Um, you know, we still don't know who the candidate is. We, you know, Mike Gibbons has had the lead for a while, but you know, a lot of folks like Josh Mandel, he's he's uh, FreedomWorks has endorsed him in his previous races when he was running for state treasurer. You have JD Vance, um, so we'll see. That's going to be an interesting uh, race. Uh, but then we move well, to West. Hold Virginia. on, no, no, Caesar, Caesar, wait there. a second. You don't have an endorsement there. <laughs> you don't have an endorsement in, the, in the race. Not, not in Ohio, ma'am. Not yet. Oh, that's interesting, because um, I think certainly Josh Mandela seems to be still a uh, favorite of conservatives in Ohio. That's yes, the interesting part. But he has, re- he has, he has received uh, conservative endorsements, right? I think he's earned the, the endorsement of Club for Growth and, and other folks. But um, yeah, FreedomWorks has not endorsed in that specific race. That's why we held, um, that's why we held that forum uh, for activists in the state who sort of gave us their feedback. And ultimately, right. that's what, you know, we tried to listen to the grassroots and what they want, and they wanted a forum, so we put that in. It was a successful yeah. event, but that's sort of, that's where the that's where the political landscape lies for, yes. for Freedom Works in Ohio. Okay. All right. Let's move on, then. Whatever you, you, ch- you pick. <laughs> it, yeah. So in West Virginia, in West Virginia uh, we got a big race coming up. We have Alex Mooney. Conserve, strong conservative candidate who's earned the endorsement of Freedom Works. He's running against David McKinley. David McKinley uh, has voted for President Biden's infrastructure bill, which we know has been a total disaster. He said he voted for it only to bring home uh, pork dollars back to West Virginia. But the reality is that that bill did more harm than good for the people of West Virginia. So uh, that's why we put our endorsement behind Alex Mooney, because he's a true conservative fighter. And uh, we hope he, uh, you know, we hope to get him across the finish line down in West Virginia and get rid so of say, one, more, Caesar, uh, one more he, rhino. He's a member right now, sitting member of Congress. Alex is this is the incumbent, right? Both are incumbents, so they got drawn, drawn into the same district. Oh, so I see. Redistricting. Into, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Redistricting got him in the same seat, so there's two incumbents running against each other. And um, obviously, okay. Alex Mooney is, 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 is a rock star in our scorecard. Uh, so we hope to that he uh, gets rid of David McKinley. So and are then you... we move down. Go ahead. No, no, I'm going to let you lead it. Where where should we go next? So let's go to I'm gonna, let's go to North Carolina. Um, so in North Carolina, we have endorsed several candidates. We've endorsed uh, obviously Ted Budd, uh, uh, who Congressman Ted Budd, who's running for Senate. He's also earned the Trump endorsement. Um, you know, he, he, or the poll, a poll just came out and, and, and he's got a really solid lead. Uh, but again, not, nothing is uh, certain in these uh, tight races, but, uh, yeah, we, Ted Budd would be such a rock star. I mean, he's, he's the member of the Freedom Caucus, votes the right way, performs the right way. Um, so we, we trust him to, to lead our conservative principles in the Senate. Um, then we go to Pennsylvania. I mean, what, you know, a lot of, a lot of our, a lot of grassroots activists are, 
are scratching their head wondering why President Trump endorses Dr. Oz, you know, who we know has had, doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a tested legislative record. We know what he said in the past as a, as a TV personality. Um, and that's why a lot of conservative folks are sort of wondering what, what, why President Trump decided to endorse him. Um, and, and then you have another, you know, other folks like David McCormick out there who's leading the race. Um, and another uh, gentleman, but the, the last name is Barnett. Uh, but in short, David McCormick is leading the race right now. And then after that, it's um, President Trump's candidate, uh, Dr. Oz. So very are you endorsing? Not, we have not endorsed anybody in that race, uh, but we are closely tracking in Pennsylvania. But what do you know about uh, David McCormick and who's supporting him? Can you tell us anything about so, him? I mean, honestly, we we don't know much about David McCormick from our end specifically. Uh, we haven't engaged really much in the in the in that Pennsylvania Senate race, uh, but we are we are tracking it closely. I think that's well for us. We'll we'll be engaging in the general election and sort of see who comes out out of that um, out of that race. I think one of the candidates is uh, uh, I think I want to say Dina. I think I talked about this yesterday. She's uh, we used to work in the White House, the Trump White House, and she was. I can tell you firsthand, front row seat, that she undermined, uh, did a horrible job of undermining President Trump on nominations. And I believe she's one of the candidates in that race. So I just, uh, I should, I don't have the name in front of me. Uh, but it's an, it's going to be interesting to see what people do with that. I, I didn't realize there was even another candidate. So that's interesting to know. All right. So what yes. other races? Yes. So we, and, so okay. And then, uh, and then we go to Alabama, where we have uh, Congressman Mo Brooks, total conservative rock star, running against uh, Katie Britt, who is, uh, uh, oh, what's the senator's name? Richard Shelby's uh, chief of staff, right? So two of the same. Uh, she's the sort of Chamber of Commerce establishment endorsed candidate versus Mo Brooks. I think it's no, it's no secret where Mo Brooks, Mo, uh, Congressman Brooks stands on the issues. Uh, he's voted the right way with Freedom Works. Pretty much throughout his whole career, obviously in the post-election, he was front and center trying to, uh, you know, you know, speak on behalf of concerned citizens who had questions about the 2020 election. And uh, we just hope that to get him across the finish line, because Alabama is a red state and Alabama cannot afford to have a squishy senator for crying out loud. And in such a red state, we need to have strong conservative principal uh, politicians elected not squishy Republicans, because that, that, that's where the problem begins in the first place, where we have this deep red congressional districts and, and states where they elect big government Republicans, and we cannot afford to have that anymore. So for anyone out there who is, is, is concerned about where Mo Brooks stands on 2020, et cetera, it is true. We need to move beyond that. We need to get Mo Brooks selected, because one thing is true. He is the right vote. He will vote for our principles. And we just have to make sure that everyone in Alabama votes for Mo Brooks because Katie Britt 100% is going to vote for big government spending bills unlike Mo Brooks. Caesar, let me just interject on that uh, because the other thing is there's there's three main candidates in that race. Katie Britt has tons of money. She's the McConnell pick. Uh, and the, the other person whose name I can't remember, I think, is my understanding he's a Lincoln Project a candidate, and that we all know what that means. They they hated President Trump, and many of them actually can't change parties uh, so uh, Mo Brooks uh, has lost President Trump's endorsement uh, because uh, somehow President Trump was persuaded that um, that Mo Brooks 
uh, was undermining him, which I think was a complete misunderstanding, and maybe someone is misleading President Trump because Mo Brooks's position is that uh, Pre- President Trump cannot be reinstated because Joe Biden has been sworn in. It would you, you cannot untangle that, but it is not Mo Brooks' position that there was not voter fraud or that President Trump exactly. was not the rightful winner of the race. So that's a big distinction that people need to understand. So anyway, that's Alabama. So where where else, Caesar? And then we go to let's let's cap it off with Georgia, uh, where we got uh, you know we got Herschel Walker. <coughs> sorry. We got Herschel Walker running for for Senate over there, uh, and obviously, you know, we, we haven't endorsed in that race, but we we, we really hope to get, uh, you know, whoever whoever the Rep- the Republican nominee is, we hope to get him across the finish line. Because again, I go back to what I was saying about Georgia, about uh, Alabama. Georgia's a red state. We cannot afford to have Senator Warnock in the Senate. The guy is a completely liberal. You know, at the at the beginning of the segment, you showed. Uh, you, you, you showed uh, President Biden's highlights, what he was saying about about the, the, his voting rights legislation. Senator Warnock is the chief senator pushing these voting rights bills, and we need to make sure that we get him out of there. So whoever comes out of that Republican primary in the Senate, we got to get him elected. Do you know what the polls show uh, there in Georgia with Herschel Walker and Warnock? I think Herschel's in first place, but I have no so, idea. So Walker, Walker. The latest poll I saw is Walker up by four uh, against Senator Warnock, um, and in, in the and then in the for governor, uh, I think Kemp is up on 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 Stacey Abrams. Okay, Brian Kemp is up on okay, and uh, not Purdue. And then Purdue, I think Purdue's up by five against Abrams. So I'm I'm just looking at the. Uh, at yeah, the general sorry. election ballot. There's, I have to say, in your defense, there's like a, a lot of races going on in the country, and it's real hard to keep it all straight. There's a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's hard to keep track of all the congressional races, and then on top of all the stuff that Congress is doing. But uh, no, but 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 in short, we have not endorsed in those statewide races in Georgia. Uh, again, I think it's important that whoever comes out as a Republican nominee, we put all of our efforts to get him elected because. Uh, we cannot afford, in Georgia, we cannot have a Democrat governor, and we can no longer have Senator Warnock out there. Yeah. Oh, Caesar, thank you. We appreciate your time this morning. Uh, FreedomWorks, by the way, they, they do endorse, and their candidates are really solid conservatives, so you'll want to watch uh, who you know what they say about candidates. That's one great source for all of you that I highly recommend. And Caesar, yeah. thanks, sir, Vice President for Policy at FreedomWorks. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll thank be right you, back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Every marriage faces storms, painful and tragic life circumstances that seem to knock you off your feet. On the next Focus on the Family, Jeff and Sarah Walton share their story of pain, which ultimately pointed them toward hope in Christ, hope that is attainable for you as well. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. 
Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. When my wife and I first started having children, we discouraged our family members from speaking to them in baby talk. You know, the gaga Google stuff. The reason was simple. We wanted our children to speak English well. Baby talk would hinder that development. The same principle applies to spiritual development. If we want our children to be wise disciples of our Lord, we should ask ourselves how much of their time is spent investing in spiritual maturity. Protracted time in the company of spiritual baby talkers will inevitably cause harm. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a preborn center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. Because of them, he's here. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel in action. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Frank Effney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden announced yesterday a new initiative, ostensibly in response to surging violent crime rates across the country. Its centerpiece is a set of new restrictions on so-called ghost guns, a made-up descriptor for homemade weapons. The object, though, is called a gun grab. This is problematic on two scores. First, interfering with legal gun ownership is a hardy perennial of the left, which understands the freedom to bear arms enshrined in our Second Amendment to be the ultimate check on its ambitions to fundamentally transform America. Second, Joe Biden has acknowledged that he's opting to use regulatory action because he cannot secure the congressional majorities needed to grab guns legally. Using unconstitutional means to impose unconstitutional restraints on Americans' freedoms only compounds the unacceptability of the president's gambit. Reject this latest lurch towards tyranny or expect more of it soon. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. When you talk to black voters, yeah. we did not get the John Lewis bill passed. We did not get the George Floyd uh, justice bill passed. But what did we do? Well, Biden put more blacks on the uh, federal courts than all presidents combined. Nobody knows that. You've got to put your message out there and what we've done, why it makes a difference, what it means to you at home, not the Washington Beltway crowd. The focus has to be on, we kept our promises, we did what we were supposed to do, and America is better for it. And 100% President Biden and Democrats and liberal elites cannot say that. Nancy Pelosi, Frank Mervan, 
President Biden, they're all on the same page. Ex extensive failures and a clear lack of vision for our country. And they cannot get away from being the scapegoats that they are for the decisions that they've made. And that approach will not work because, once again, black voters are not ignorant to the realities of the situations we face in America. Yeah, high gas prices, high food prices. Are you better off? All right. So that oh, that was the voice. Well, Al Sharpton first, you know, really just talking about the old the old way of persuading black voters to vote for Democrats. And Jennifer Ruth Green, who is a black congressional candidate from Indiana, says that that doesn't appeal to black voters. It's that that doesn't work anymore. And the fact that there was a black woman, you know, confirmed to the Supreme Court, it doesn't it's the policies. And we're understanding that this is not working. I don't know anything about Jennifer, Jennifer Ruth Green, but she did a great job last night with Laura Ingram. And so I commend her to those of you in Indiana to look, look into her and see if you, if you agree that she, she sounds like just a really terrific candidate. So well-spoken. <laughs> that sounds so racist, doesn't it? I, don't mean, I really don't mean it that way. That reminds me of Joe Biden talking about uh, uh, Barack Obama. He was, he was a clean black man who was articulate. That's what he said. It was, it's really amazing. So I don't feel that way at all, but just that it sounded like I did. Uh, but it, she's really incredible. She's just so, it's real, it's wonderful. I enjoyed the, her interview with Laura Ingram. Okay, so I want to talk to you about uh, Judge um, uh, Brown Jackson because we're learning more things about her. And the more I learn, the more I cringe. Uh, this is an article by Paul Sperry. Paul is an investigative reporter whose work I just love, actually. He's so busy. I've asked him to be on before, but he's kind of like one of those writers who's busy researching and writing and doesn't really take too much time to be on camera or, or on mic. But this is what he writes. Uh, basically, Obama's anti-child porn czar is slamming Judge Jackson's lax sentencing. And uh, bear with me while I read at least a portion of this because I think it's worth reading to you. In 2010, former Attorney General Eric Holder established the Justice Department's National Strategy for Child Exploitation Prevention and Interdiction to help crack down on child porn offenders, which he called a top priority. Good for Eric Holder. I didn't know this about him, so I, that's something about him I like because I don't like much about him, but this is good. He put tough federal sex crimes prosecutor Francie Hakes in charge of the initiative, and she oversaw all child exploitation efforts at the department, including the FBI and the U.S. Marshals. That same year, President Barack Obama installed Katanji Brown Jackson as vice chair of the U.S. Sentencing Commission, where she quietly worked to weaken sentencing guidelines for child porn offenders before giving such criminals light sentences while sentencing them to a federal judge Sentencing, sentencing them as a federal judge years later. Okay, you know all of that part. Hakes, again, Francie Hakes, had no idea that Jackson, whose leniency she denounced in an exclusive interview, would one day be up for a seat in the Supreme Court when she crossed paths with her at a 2012 commission hearing on child pornography. During the Washington hearing, Hakes testified that the hardest thing she had to do while prosecuting such cases was view images of infants and toddlers being abused in the vilest ways, something she now says she doubts Jackson ever actually forced herself to do as a judge before handing down light sentences for criminals who trafficked in such unspeakable images. It is absolutely beyond the imagination of most of us what these children are experiencing, uh, she told, meaning uh, Francie Hakes told, Tanji Jackson, Brown Jackson, she told Jackson and other commissioners at the time, and it's beyond imagination to, to think about what these killed children are experiencing. 
and the Department of Justice believes that these cases merit serious sentences. She asserted that she didn't think there was any reason to believe the current sentencing guidelines were too harsh, including prison enhancements based on the the number of child pornography images defendants possessed or distributed. We talked about images, Hakes testified. Well, we're talking about numbers of victims. We also believe the number of victims and character of images is a critical aggravating factor because of the harm that it causes, because of the market that it drives, she said, as Jackson sat listening. Hakes, remember, this is back in 2012. Hakes also urged the commission to toughen sentences for defendants caught with images of sadomasochistic acts performed on infants and toddlers. In my own experience, the images of the infants and toddlers appear to me to be even more violent than those of the older children. This is, I guess, where you need to, I wish I'd said this before, if you've got little kids listening, you just turn this off, okay? And then come back to me in, a, in two minutes or so. These children simply are defenseless. They cannot tell. They cannot cry out. They cannot say no. They cannot resist or fight. Hakes then suggested Jackson and her commission stiffen, not relax, punishment for these very serious crimes. But Jackson harbored decidedly different views about the seriousness of child pornography, even though she had possibly never reviewed the horrific evidence in such cases. She would state in commission hearings that she did not necessarily view child offenders as pedophiles, contradicting experts, and suggested that federal sentencing guidelines mandating they be locked up for a minimum of five years may be excessively severe. Jackson's personal views manifested in a major 2012 commission report to Congress. Anyway, and then which she, her views are in that thing where the, the, the penalties are too severe, uh, people, you know, it's different because they're viewing them online, and so they, it should, it's too severe. Jackson's apparent empathy for such offenders carried over into her years on the federal bench, and then we know, you know that. We've talked about that. Hang on one second. <laughs> Sorry, my allergies this morning. Uh, because she did exact exactly what she espoused in this commission, which she was placed on, that she thought the sentences were too great. It didn't matter what the experts said, like like Francie uh, Hakes. Didn't matter what she said, and so um, that's. Uh, so let me go to the end of this article. By the way, it's called. Uh, we'll put this on our uh, uh, on our Getter page. Paul Sperry's Obama's anti-child porn czar slams Judge Jackson's last sentencing. Uh, lax sentencing, and so uh, that's that's all I have time to really to read of that one. But this this is an addendum to this. This is this is also by Paul Sperry, and it's called Kadanji Brown Jackson, David Ehrenberg, and Jeffrey Epstein. Federal election records show newly anointed Supreme Court Justice Kadanji Brown Jackson has given money to just two politicians, Barack Obama and Dave Ehrenberg. Uh, Obama had appointed her, uh, she worked on his 20, 2008 presidential campaign, and he repaid the favor by appointing her to the U.S. Sentencing Commission, uh, followed by appointing her to the D.C. District Court, while also commuting the three-strikes prison sentence of her cocaine trafficking uncle. So that's what Barack Obama did for Katanji Brown-Jackson. Okay, so we know then who Barack Obama is, that's who she donated, donated to, but who is David Ehrenberg? He is a high school friend of Jackson from Florida who, like her, has been accused of being soft on child sex offenders. The two were also classmates at Harvard Law School. Her financial gift to him is yet another data point, indicating she is strangely not happy with laws protecting kids from sexual predators. 
In 2009, she donated to Ehrenberg, then a Democratic Florida state senator. At the time, Ehrenberg had been in the news for pushing a controversial bill to cut in half the distance registered sex offenders are required to live from schools, daycare centers, parks, and other places kids congregate. Jackson complained about such laws while attending Harvard with Ehrenberg. So they'd already discussed this when they were in Harvard together and they were uh, birds of the feather. Turns out, um, well, I should read a little bit more of this. In 1996, the year they both graduated, Jackson wrote an 18-page brief in the Harvard Law Review arguing that the judicial system was unfair to people who sexually prey on children because it sentences them to monitoring and treatment after prison, which she viewed as additional punishment, masquerading as prevention. Although the Supreme Court has upheld such requirements, she complained that community notification subjects ex-convicts to stigmatization and ostracism and puts them at the mercy of the public that is outraged by sex crimes. When we were told, when she was being in the hearing in the Judiciary Committee and then also in articles, we were told that she was lenient on child people who possessed child pornography and trafficked in it. But did you have any idea how deep and how wide this goes? Uh, I was told, Mike Davis told us, it goes back like years to her time at Harvard. And he was right. But I don't think we really understood how deeply it goes back. And so later, we're not done with this Aronson char- Ehrenberg character. It turns out that he, um, I, this is too complicated to, let me just say that he is affiliated uh, with the, uh, he's good friends with an attorney named Krischer. Krischer is the attorney in Florida who was implicated in the Jeffrey Epstein situation and kind of helped cover Jeffrey Epstein for some of his, uh, you know, he did, does anybody remember Pedophile Island? That's Jeffrey Epstein. And so uh, he and uh, Ehrenberg Krishner, the attorney who helped Jeffrey, uh, uh, Jeffrey, (laughs) Jeffrey Dahmer, wrong criminal. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Epstein, uh, cover up his child pornography and all of his uh, his machinations, whatever he was doing. So Ehrenberg was not comp- uh, implicated in the state probe of the irregularities in the Epstein case and was reelected in Palm Beach without opposition. Uh, and earlier this year, he endorsed his old friend Jackson for the high court, calling her a living legend. So these three, at the very least, are joined at the hip on their position on child pornography. And now she is on the Supreme Court. Well, you know, we have elections coming up, and if you remember, there are two, three Republicans. One of them is Mitt Romney, one of them is Susan Collins, and the other is Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. All of them voted for Katanji Brown-Jackson. But you know what? Some of you are represented by Democratic senators who voted for her also. They should feel your wrath. I don't care where you stand politically. Is this what you want to be unleashed on your children? Because this this kind of thing is like poison. It spreads like poison. If there's not severe penalty for things like this, it just um, it permeates the atmosphere. It already is permeating the atmosphere because hardly any punishment in comparison to the, the misdeeds has been ex- exacted for a long time. I told you, even under the Bush administration, John Ashcroft didn't want to po- prosecute pornography because he didn't want to look at it. He didn't want to mess with it. He'd rather ignore it. And that's what many people do. That's one of the things that um, the uh, the attorney that I was just reading the article about that was talking about, Katanji Brown-Jackson, and her uh, testimony before the commission said that judges and attorneys don't want to look at this. And so they end up giving lenient sentences. She talked about one time they were in a courtroom and 
uh, uh, there was a defendant in front of them who was uh, guilty of the most egregious stuff, and they forced the judge, because of a ruling, to look at the images. And this judge was notoriously lenient on uh, sentences for these types of uh, criminals. And when she was forced to look at this information, uh, the the sentence that she gave was much more harsh. That's part of the problem, you know. uh, when you're in this line of work, you are obligated to know what you're doing. If Ketanji Brown-Jackson has not viewed this stuff, she is derelict in her duties. If she's going to make judgments on it and uh, put people at risk and their children, she needs to know exactly what she's doing. I'm not willing to say, you know, how do we know she hasn't looked at it? There's something weird going on here, okay? Uh, so I want to just uh, bring you up to date now with a few other things. I've hinted at this a little bit. I'm going to tell you like four things very quickly here. Biden's, uh, President Biden's Health and Human Services has gone all in on radical transgender ideology, encouraging early body-changing medical inver- in- interventions as gender-affirming care. They have a whole list of things that they're, uh, they're into. Social affirmation, adopting gender-affirming hairstyles, clothing, name, gender protowns, all, pronouns, all of that. Puberty blockers, puberty blockers, which, I'm sorry, for years I said puberty, and now I have to correct myself because evidently that's not the way to say it. So puberty blocker, blockers. Um, they do terrible harm to prepubescent kids, mess up their development uh, sexually, and all, but they're given to, to young children hormone therapy to turn them into one sex or another, and of course surgeries to remove breasts and surgeries to remove uh, boys' parts. Let's just say man parts from boys. The HHS is all in. They think that's a great idea. This is your president's administration. This is your vice president. Those of you that are Democrats... Please, you have to stop this. You cannot elect these people anymore. You have to stop this. We all have to stop this. We are united, are we not, in believing that this is harmful to our children? Um, And so these elections are coming up. This is an issue now in Oregon. It's an issue in New Jersey, and it's an issue in Alabama and Texas. Those are only the states I have to mention right now. So just a heads up, that's what's happening in your state right now. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.